into our final session for the day, our panel discussion on leadership at all levels. I'd like to hand over to my colleague on the Future Leaders Committee, Brock Fyland, from the Department of Veterans Affairs, who's going to be our facilitator for this panel discussion. At the end of the discussion, Brock is going to hand over to Anthony Pronin from the National Indigenous Australians Agency and also a Future Committee Leaders member, who will provide some closing remarks on behalf of the committee. Thank you very much for your participation today. Please remember to stay engaged as part of the alumni network and get in contact if you're interested in joining the Future Leaders Committee. Well, thank you very much, Holly, for the introduction. Um, as Holly said, uh, my name is Brock Fyland and I'm the co-design hub leader over at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, and I'm also a member of the IPRA ACT Future Leaders Committee. And it is my pleasure to facilitate the final panel discussion today. Now I do encourage all audience members to please ask questions in the chat stream. We'll try and get to as many, as many of those as the timing um, that we have left for today will allow. If you do love a particular comment or a question, please give it a thumbs up and that'll help me prioritize because I know you're all gonna bombard me with a lot of different questions. Um, but on the panel today, let me introduce uh, Dr. Damien West. Dr. Damien West is the Deputy Director General, Whole of Government Workforce Capability and Governance and Workplace Safety and Industrial Relations. CMTED. In his current role as Deputy Director General, he's responsible for leading and driving whole of government strategy to build and enhance the workforce capability of the ACTPS, positioning the service to effectively maximise new opportunities as they arise, responding to changing priorities and delivering high quality outcomes into the future. Um, I can see Damien's connecting now, so welcome to Damien. We also have Deanne Allen, who leads the evidence and policy team in the Commonwealth Fraud Prevention Centre. Uh, this team is focused on influencing a shift in how Australian government entities consider and prevent fraud by providing a strong evidence base and narrative. In her spare time, Dee is also the Deputy Chair of IPA ACT's Future Leaders Committee. Um, great to have Dee again. And our final panel member is Megan Aponte-Payne, who is an international trade specialist who currently works on ensuring Australia has access to critical goods such as medicines and PPE in the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. She's previously worked with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and at Austrade. Megan is a Megan is a mentor, coach, team leader, and believes strongly in evidence-based approaches to organisational leadership. Um, the first question actually goes to the whole panel, and so we'll kick off with you, Damien, because I know I can hear you. Can you briefly share with us your career path to date and what your leadership journey has been? Uh, the career path to date, yes, in two minutes or less. So um, I joined the uh, federal government uh, approximately about 20 years ago, um, and um, through that time, I've taken on, I've progressed through a range of departments and agencies. I've worked in service delivery. I've spent time in regulators. I've spent time in prime minister and cabinet. Um, I've done secondments to state government to work in uh, premier and cabinet down in Victoria and the public service, um, the state version of the Victorian Public Service Commission down there. Um, and then uh, other big uh, leadership jobs in, in uh, back in the APS and then finally into effect the deputy secretary role in the ACT. So um, a wide range of opportunities. Um, and you know, I think my motto um, through my career has really been not so much planned, but very much take out take opportunities as they come. They will come your way. If you do a good job, people will recognize that and things will be put in front of you. 
And um, you have to be courageous and say yes uh, more than you say no would be my advice. And the rest of it largely takes care of itself. Thanks, Brock. I'll hand over to Megan. Of course, and thanks. So um, similarly to what Damien was saying in that your career is often not predictable. Um, I came to Canberra in 2014 uh, wanting to be a diplomat. I joined um, the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet's graduate program. Um, uh, before then, I, I came from Adelaide and I'd worked as an industrial organiser, but and, and, I, and I'd done inter um, languages and international studies at university, but I kind of fell into trade. So I worked on the G20 summit when Australia hosted it in 2014, and then again on the ASEAN summit that we hosted in 2018, and I'm now doing postgraduate uh, studies in economics. So um, similarly to Damien, just chose, just said yes when opportunities presented themselves, um, and, and I think it's paid off. In terms of my interest in leadership, I've always been one of those people really interested in what in the glue that keeps organisations together. And so I've always been involved in a lot of extracurricular activities within the workplace where I've worked, because I think that those activities are really useful for understanding what uh, motivates people, helping them to feel valued, how, helping to encourage them to bring their whole selves to, to the job as well. Um, and so, you know, I would encourage you to get involved. I, I've done things like social club, consultative committee, a graduate bargaining representative on EBA negotiations, the cold group. And it's actually a lot of those experiences where I think I've, I've had my, my leadership experience before I moved into leadership roles. Fantastic. And it's great to have you here, Megan. I can hear you. I can see you. It sounds like you've had a wealth of experience already and, and coming from what Damien said, just saying yes to things um, like this, like this panel as well today. Now, Dee, I can see you. Hopefully we're going to be able to hear you. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path to date, your leadership journey? Can you hear me? Sure can. Yay. Hello, everybody. Um, so I started in cotton biotechnology. I've got a background in science. So I joined after uni, went to the CSIRO and I stuck it out for about a year, but it wasn't quite what I wanted in a role. And I applied for a position at the Australian National Audit Office because performance audit sounded like a giant lab report, but about government. And I wasn't wrong. Auditing basically follows the scientific method. And there's a lot of ex-scientists at ANAO. I was there for seven and a half years as a performance auditor, during which time I went from APS4 to EL1. And about two years ago, I moved to the Attorney General's Department and joined the wonderful Commonwealth Fraud Prevention Centre. I've been in the director position there since March this year and just loving life. I would say that my career so far has had some high highs and some low lows, but all of them made me who I am today. Um, I would say you, you might look at me now and see a fairly confident soul, um, but it has taken a bit of work to get to that point. And all I can say is that it was definitely worth it. My mantra in going into things is um, be scared and do it anyway. I I absolutely love that, Dee, in terms of a, a philosophy, I think. You know, I don't get nervous before a presentation. I get excited, or at least that's what I tell myself. And then things all seem to turn out a little bit better. Um, all right, it's fantastic. We've got the panel here. Everyone's working. Um, it's all working. It's all going to be fantastic. Now, quick, quick first question to Damien. And I do want to reiterate to our audience members, hopefully you, you can see and hear everyone as well. Please start posting some questions in the chat stream. But the first question I've got for you, Damien, is how do you empower future leaders in your organisation? Yeah, 
Thanks, Brock, and a really good question. And I think this is probably a couple elements to that. So one one is about understanding themselves and understanding you know what someone's seeking to do with their their career and where they are at that point in time. So you know often I I hear um, from you know a lot of graduates and people who've just joined the service, be it the federal government or state government, and um, they've got a a vision of their career trajectory and and whatnot. And usually, you know, in their first few years and months, they experience different things. So, and that starts to 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 shape which which way they want to go and the sort of things that they like doing. And you learn the sorts of things you dislike doing. And and I think that's the benefit of, you know, particularly early on in career, being really really quite mobile and agile. Because the further you go up in your career, and, and once you get to director and SES level and deputy sec secretary level you don't have as much flexibility as you have early on. You're actually much more mobile in the beginning of your career. And I encourage people to take those opportunities and move people and to jump around um, and to listen and learn and participate and you know, be, be very courageous early on and, and, and hold that courage through your career because I think it's really important that you know the further you go through, things don't necessarily get easier. Um, they probably get harder. Um, but you know, you have to lean into problems. You have to acknowledge you'll get it wrong. No, nobody is perfect. Um, everyone has made mistakes. Um, you learn from them. You dust yourself off and go forward. So, you know, for me, I encourage I encourage um, people and future leaders to really to experiment, to get out of their comfort zone, um, to offer themselves up and to do things. But I'll also add, finish with and to have balance. So it's really important, I think, that you retain the things that really energize you outside of the workplace. So it could be social endeavors, sporting endeavors, uh, other curricul extracurriculum type work, and they are absolutely central to who you are. And it's that balance and holding on to that balance that will actually make you a leader um, and, and help you through your journey. And I think you, know, you need to do a lot of that, um, that that it gives you a, a real sense of strength. And so, you know, I think when I was coming up through the different hierarchy, I was doing my PhD, I kept playing football and I worked really hard in my job. And that sort of gave me different parts of my life that you could draw on when, you know, as Dee mentioned, when you're having a down day at work, you could have a good day at uni or a good day on the sporting field. And, and that rounds you out. It also connects you to lots of different people. And, and those connections are fantastic as you go through your career because people will pop up in your life, both socially and professionally at different times, and having more connections and a greater array of people in your professional um, circle is really, really powerful over time. Thanks, Brock. I love it. And I'm hearing a lot about the being mobile, being agile, experimenting, saying yes to different things. And I think that's kind of resonating through in the chat stream too. People are saying things like, be nervous, do it anyway, or the life goals, but getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, I love that. And, but then you also you've taken it around to, but it still is all around balance. And we've heard a little bit around those rejuvenating activities like self-care and making sure that we're, you know, we're, we're an entire person. Our career is one part of that that whole of our well-being. Um, thank you to, to Damien. I've got a question now for Dee. Dee, what does leadership at all levels look like to you? Just checking my sound is still okay. Fabulous. Um, so look, leadership at all levels, it is a line that has been used a lot. And I personally found it a little hard to get a great answer to it. Um, in, in mine isn't a perfect answer, but this is my take regardless. Um, you may have heard this quote, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. 
And while I think that that approach has merit, I'd love to add a new perspective using a new one-liner and excuse the appalling grammar. The behavior you display is the culture you okay. And yes, I deliberately made that rhyme. Um, this approach ensures that we take personal responsibility for not just calling out bad behavior or poor behavior in others, but also displaying integrity yourself. It also acknowledges the influence that your behavior has on others, especially those that are still developing in the workplace. And this links so closely to what Paula and Lizzie were discussing earlier in this session, and I was nodding vehemently as they were presenting. Um, I will always be a work in progress. I am shaped by what I've seen and heard and read. And if you accept this assertion, try applying it to the rest of the population and recognize that everyone else might also be on a path of continuous development. And I think this is particularly the case in a workplace where all taking cues from others to develop professionally. And it's possible for the majority of your career, no matter what level you're at, um, there might be someone taking cues from you, even if you don't realize it. And this could include how you're treating others, how you're making decisions, how you're communicating decisions and how you approach your work, even how you take a lunch break or not. So take the responsibility to act the way you'd like others to act. And I think anyone can do this no matter what your rank. I also think it's about being vulnerable and open to sharing. If you want your team to share with you, share with them. So I had noted um, that there was a team member working for another director who was taking unplanned leave on a roughly monthly schedule and she always looked like she was coming back earlier than she was ready to. And she was clearly not open to giving any details, but I could make an educated guess to what was going on. And the next time I caught up, I let her know that I wasn't feeling great. I was going to take the afternoon off because I was feeling crampy and nauseated. And any woman and hopefully most men know exactly what that is code for. And nothing else happened in that conversation, but a few weeks later, she called me up to talk about her endometriosis diagnosis and how she'd struggled for years feeling unable to talk about it with her male director. And she'd even put off surgery because she didn't want to provide the details to ask for the time off. So I provided support and I workshop the conversation with her and I shared a bit about my journey to normalize how, you know, talking about how we feel about women in a workplace. Um, and it's just a small example, but hopefully it shows that you can put in leadership at all levels into any approach by just having conversations and being open to what you're talking about. Thank you so much for sharing like a, a, a pretty powerful individual story there already, Dee, and I guess showing that anyone can display leadership and by being open, vulnerable and authentic, as we've heard today, that can really lead to, to deeper connections and, and generally a better outcome for, for everyone. Um, which is which is really fantastic. Um, thank you, Dee. Megan, I can see you're, you're not only answering questions here, you're answering questions in the chat stream, you're doing it all. Question for you, Megan, is is what supports or, or structures are in place for you to feel empowered to lead? Yeah, th thanks for that, Brock. And yeah, you can't take the multitasker out of me. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about mentoring and coaching. Um, which is a support structure, I think, that we can all draw on. And I wanted to start with an anecdote. So when I was a graduate, about halfway through the grad program, our HR manager came to us and said that she was creating a mentoring program for us and that we'd all have director level, which is pretty impressive when you're an APS3, director level mentors. But there was a, a flaw in the plan and I found out when I met with my designated mentor for the first time that the mentors had been selected on the most recent EL2 additions to the department and they'd been voluntold. And my mentor basically said that to me, said that she was doing it because she had to, 
um, and said, okay, so in six months' time, we'll just tick a box. I'll just let HR know that we've we've done this. And, and that was the end of the mentoring session. And look, she was actually quite a nice person. And I think in another environment, we might have got along, but it was a really unorganic way of finding a mentor. And we've been talking about making connections. Those connections have to be real. And so I would encourage all of you out there to think about the connections you've actually, and those support networks you've actually already got. You're probably in some almost mentoring relationships without even realizing. It could be, it could be if you're a grad or you have been a grad, you've got peers to work with, or perhaps you've identified someone who's on the same career trajectory to you, but is a few years ahead of you, for example. And you don't have to ever say to them, could you be my mentor? Because if they're already providing you advice or you're having, you know, a catch up every couple of months, they've actually already accepted that role or they've perhaps seen something in you that reminds them of how you work. So they're actually, they've already almost agreed to it. So it can be really organic, but I would say draw on those networks where you can, but I would also encourage you to, to pull the resources. So where I am at PMNC, uh, the department pays for three professional coaching sessions each financial year. But if your department doesn't do that, remember, you've always got the employee assistance program. So, yes, the EAP has got counsellors if you're going through a crisis or, or you've got bullying at work. But you can also just ask for someone to, who, who's a career counsellor or a coach as well. And they're free. And I, I would really encourage you because often mentors can hold a bit of a mirror up to you. And, and one of the really important things about leadership is being really self-aware. And being self-aware is often about understanding how others are perceiving you, because that's really the only way you can understand how you're coming across. I love it. Thank you so much, Megan. And it's actually a really great reminder to seek out the resources that are out there. I think we're quite lucky in, in the public service that there's a multitude of different strings to pull if we if we we see something that we think could be good for our self-improvement. Um, but also just the importance of being self-aware of your relationships as well and, and how you're perceived um, is such a is such an important part of it as well. Um, a question to Damien. Um, Damien, can you tell us about a time where your resilience and your leadership was really tested and, and how you managed that situation? Yeah, thanks, Brock. I'll just check. You can still hear me. If you cannot, yep. And, still and hear look, you. Good, good, good. Um, just building quickly off um, both Dee's and Megan's point, I think, um, yeah, coaching and mentoring are great, great um, um, activities to engage with. But absolutely, um, in effect, you're getting feedback all the time from your colleagues and peers. So, you know, when you're doing work every day, uh, people actually are giving you feedback whether or not they you know it, whether or not they know it or not, or you know it or not. So, you know, it doesn't have to be organized. It can be quite organic. And and the other thing is just, you know, informally, absolutely talk to um talk to anybody and be clear about the sorts of things you want and see how see what perspective they give um to you. And I've noticed in the chat box there's a, a questions around you know, how to seek that out and and where how to position yourself for move. So um I think by being interested in what's around you and alert to what's around you, um, I, I, you almost go with your gut instincts. And if you think, oh, wow, it'd be really interesting to go to work in PM&C for a period because you'll get a different perspective of the world or into a policy role or into a delivery role or a regulatory role or work on, you know, um, um, work on fraud and other types of work in the centre. You know, there's those things um, that appeal to you 
um, I would run with and 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 seek it out and and talk to people who are in those spaces. Um, and lots of people transition through those agencies as well. So um, the more you're clear and the more you articulate, the the better as well. But look, in regards to your the question, um, look, I think. There are different challenges at different times in your career, and I remember, you know, when I was an EO one or the first time I was a director, you know, what was what was the the big shifts and the big pivot points? And you know, I was I was a director really young, um, and that was a really difficult thing for very much more uh, mature people or older people that I was working who I was suddenly their their team leader or their supervisor, and and creating and establishing yourself in that space is really important. Um, when you get to senior levels, and certainly in the, the deputy secretary and even the band one level, you know, often I've come into roles where I've been asked to lead a big change or a big shift, or there's been a performance issue, or the directorate or the divisional group is underperforming. So the importance there is around really setting, um, you know, your standards and your expectations and the expectations of others, and and the two things to that is in my mind has always been be very very clear. So I'm very, very clear with the people that work with me and around me and and support me what I expect and the standards I expect. Um, and I'm very clear when they're not met. And I don't do that in a nasty way. I do that in a in in just a, a sense of this is what I was expecting. And if it didn't didn't come, um, you know that 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 what we can do to ensure that doesn't happen again. Um, or if there are challenges that I'm you know aware of those. So. I think um, communication is really, really central to to managing that. And when you are being resisted, um, or when you're where people are outright um, trying to undermine an agenda or a deliverable, and and let's face it, some environments are very difficult, and policy and change are very difficult. And that could be in a in a sort of in a any context that we're we're working in. The clear thing is to to certainly try to understand where other parties are coming from, but be really, really clear and always very honest with both yourself and and your stakeholders about what you're trying to achieve. And and I think that always sets you up, set positions you really well. I think um, if you try, if you are anything but that, that that will eventually undermine your credibility, um, and people won't know what you stand for. So you know, if you, I, I have all always through my career been very clear to people about what you know, how I work and how I operate and what my expectations are, but also been really clear about what we're trying to achieve. Um, and people will choose to work with you or come with you on that journey, or they won't, and that's okay. Um, but you know, I think if you're working with people and you're positive and respectful, um, then that will play out really well. But there will be times in your career, particularly as you're transitioning through levels, where those roles and relationships change. When you go from being a peer and colleague to a leader or a supervisor, that's a big shift. Um, and you and and how you manage that's really important because you sometimes go from being a friend to being someone's supervisor, and that the first time you do that, it's a difficult thing because suddenly. You, you know, you have a different relationship, whether or not they and you like that or acknowledge that, but it is true. And similarly, when you go up the next level, you might have a different set of relationships with a, with a broader stakeholders. So, you, so for me, it was always about it's always about articulating that, setting the the boundaries, being clear about expectations, really clear about expectations, and um and then following that up. So if something's not the way you want it, being clear because. Um, like with anything in life, unless you communicate and over communicate, people won't know um, that that something's not to the standard you want or hasn't met your expectation.
Thanks, bro. Brilliant. Um, such a fantastic answer there, Damien, because I just, and I'm hearing the strong message of communication is key in terms of setting those standards, being really clear and I guess setting the tone on what your expectations and the goals are, um, regardless of what that relationship is. And it's probably an issue that a lot of the cohort that are listening in will will, will be challenged by as, as we are on our own leadership journeys with, with all our peers as well, in terms of working to, working for, working with them as well. Um, I'm going to go one more question to, to, to both Dee and Megan, um, and then we're going to look through the chat room, maybe try and grab one more as well. Um, can we just speak a little bit briefly, Dee and Megan, on where you've seen an egalitarian ideas culture done really well in the workplace? We'll go D first. Or D first. Looks like she's off mute. <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. Sorry, Megan. Hi. <laughs> I beat you to it. Um, look, I think that it's about not just saying it, but also providing the mechanisms for it to actually happen and holding people accountable to follow through on it. I think people need to feel safe before they can start providing ideas and flourishing in the workplace. I've been in teams that felt unsafe and where I felt that I didn't matter and I show you there is no better way to destroy team morale. Um, one of the things I love about working at Attorney General's Department and especially in my division is that there's a huge emphasis on leadership responsibility for setting a great culture and people are held accountable to it. And a lot of it has to do with sharing where you can, you know, I've heard the new open door policy in this remote environment is a shared calendar and outlook. And that is not hard to action. And it just lets people know what you're doing, when you're doing it, when you might be free for them to talk to. Um, and it just really helps in this remote environment. Um, I'll wrap up with another rhyme just because I, re I really love them. Um, I'd love to throw work to live or live to work out the window. I think it's a bit judgmental. Look, I'm still workshopping the alternative, but how about something like, should we work to survive or work to thrive? And for me, obviously, it's work to thrive. And certainly it gives me a bit more of a purpose for what I want in a workplace, but also how I want to be as a leader. I want my team to thrive in the workplace. And so that sets goals for me. I love that, Dee. Over to you, Megan. Thanks. I wish I was writing these down. I hope someone is. If you are, put, put them in the chat box, please. <laughs> um, building on what Dee said, I wanted to also share one example. And it's... Um, it's about Martin Parkinson. So some of you might remember Martin. He was the head of, of Prime Minister and Cabinet a couple of years ago, which made him also the head of the public service. So essentially the, the highest ranking uh, public service official that we have. And one of the ways that he developed this sense of egalitarian ideas culture, which for me is about sharing ideas at all level, ideas for change, innovation, et cetera, was around cult groups, so um, culturally and linguistically diverse groups. So it was fairly clear within our department, and I think it's a fairly common occurrence across the APS, that we're not as culturally and linguistically diverse as the wider Australian community is. And where we do have the numbers, they tend to be at the, the lower ranks. There's, there's quite a, um, a stark uh, gap, I think, among SES, in particular uh, with people from a cult background. And Martin recognised this and I think did something really smart to empower the cult people within PMNC. So he, he ran a round table and pulled together 25 cult people within the department and went around and spoke to each one and each person talked about their experience and barriers that they had experienced 
often they're around recruitment and promotion and interviewing because often some other cultures don't talk about what the individual did. They talk about the team, for example, and got each person to come up with ideas on how we could help to, to solve the issue. And every person in the room had a say. He then did what only he could do at the top of an organisation, which was provide the imprimatur for change, firstly by providing his approval that there was a problem at End of Solutions. He then created a dedicated HR area and an EL2 who reported directly to him on it. He identified a cold leader within the organisation to work with the cold um, part, uh, uh, staff members who could also see that SES as someone to aspire to be like and proof that you can do it. And he created this cultural groundswell. And part of that was connecting this group of 25 people in the room had shared an experience where they'd all been vulnerable with each other and to the top leadership within the organisation and all felt listened to, respected and valued. And so the solutions that then were provided, they owned them and they felt empowered to actually do something about them. And it was a really positive example of someone from above almost bestowing the power and the legitimacy on people at the lower levels of the organisation to make a change. And I think more examples of that would only lead to positive outcomes within the public service. Brilliant. Um, such a fantastic example of, of leadership from the, the very top there, Megan. Um, I think we, we may be out of time here um, in a second. So I do want to just give a, a, a big, loud round of applause and thank you to Damien, to Dee and to Megan for all of your insights and your experiences and, and sharing with, with the audience today. I wish we had all afternoon to discuss leadership at all levels. I'm sure we will. We'll get a coffee and we'll do it soon. Um, for now, though, a big thank you for me and putting up with our technical issues that we've had in this last little piece. Um, I'm now going to pass over to Anthony Pronin, a fellow IPA ACT Future Leaders Committee member, who's going to be giving our closing remarks. Um, so over to Anthony. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brock. Can you can hear me? Okay, great. Uh, thanks, Brock, for facilitating the discussion. Um, I think it's a great example of every day being an opportunity to, you know, lead conversations, model culture, be courageous, and and get involved in those diversity conversations too. Um, I'd like to thank all the speakers today and Holly for facilitating. I think there were some great takeaways and topics you can carry with you and hope you take the time to reflect on the sessions. A few of my immediate reactions is um, from the well-being one that it's really important to give yourself permission to take care of yourself, model a balanced life and support your peers. And also there's some really interesting thoughts about tuning into your own reactions and having a think about that. Um, there's also some great ideas from the networking session, such as keeping your net networks alive, uh, being creative um, in terms of how you do it, using digital platforms, uh, cohorts, warm, introdu warm introductions, and things like that. Um, and, you know, the digital platforms are great to break time zones or, or borders and reach across geographically. Um, so take the time to think about catching up with your networks and building that trust, and, and it really helps to creating a, a one APS approach to delivering the important services uh, that our community relies on. Um, so with that being said, I encourage everyone to continue with the curiosity that brought you here today. Curiosity is a, a skill and something that will benefit you in the long run. So continue to learn and ask questions as much as you can. Um, and before you leave today, you'll see a QR code on a holding slide. And if you scan this, it'll take you through to a survey. 
So um, let us know what you thought of the session and we'll use it to improve future IPA sessions in the future. Um, I'd also like to thank the IPA sponsors for their ongoing support and with today's event, KPMG, Hayes, Telstra, Minter Ellison, Commonwealth Bank of Australia and Microsoft. Um, I really enjoyed today and hope you did too. And we hope to see you at the next IPA event. So thanks everybody. Bye.